They be like, slow up, homie. You're talking too fast. I got a couple of quips. I came to talk trash. Yeah, he's Bucky Watson, Bradley Bax. This is going down. We call it the G Splash. Hey. Another episode of the Dopest Podcast on Earth, aka the G Splash. This is season four. I'm your host, Bradley Baxter, my man, Chris Bucky Watts. Up, what up, what up, what up? You know so how excited we, to be here. You know how so we, excited. <laughs> you know how we really do. Excited. No, what do we do, Brad? No, how we what? <laughs> we kick you six pop cultures. We kick you that yeet yeet of the week. That yeet yeet. That yeet yeet. Of the week of six pop culture news stories, plus some other stuff. Today is episode number 157, and we're talking about the holiday movies that made us. A lot of crazy stuff I didn't know about these two movies, Elf and The Nightmare Before Christmas. This this goddamn show, man, I'll tell you what. I've watched a lot of documentaries in my time. I don't think I've ever learned as much as I learned when I watched the movies that made us, the toys that made us, and now the Christmas movies that made us. These are phenomenal series. I, I do prefer the toys over the movies, but I still I love. Oh, that's funny. Interesting. Only because I, only, here's my here's my uh, here's my why. My why is because there are certain toys on the, to- the toys made us a phenomenal show. There are only certain ones I'm actually really interested in, not just kind of like I guess I could watch the the Sailor Moon one or the freaking the WWE one, right? But the movies that made us, I'm like these are all fucking classics i gotta know what happened yeah but the movie like behind the scenes movies is very more of a common although to your point you're you're, to your point every time my mind is blown like even on the movies that made us that first season they do dirty dancing i said why would i watch dirty dancing one i don't like this one dirty Mm -hmm. dancing it might be the best one from that season where i'm like oh these fucking people were nuts i love that shit (laughs) anyways it's (laughs) gonna be a fun show uh, <laughs> fair enough. You're crazy. You're out of your mind. We got some stuff to talk about. We got some video game stuff. Obviously, Cyberpunk is a, a big, big thing to talk about this week. Uh, we got some Warner Brothers stuff. Always, we have some Star Wars with it's our Star Wars correspondent, Chris Bucky Watts. That's me. Pleasure to be here, folks. From, from a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> but also, uh, we talk... The last episode of The Mandalorian over on the next episode, our sideshow. So definitely check that out. We talk about everything where the season's going, or series is going, rather. Also, we talk about the spoilers. It's a loaded show. Uh, So definitely check that out immediately following this episode. Um, The other thing I wanted to mention, Chris, too, is that last week I, I did this whole thing about the Marvel calendar and kind of predicted some stuff. Now, I still... We'll say that that's still roughly accurate to what I'm thinking. However, I did find out, I think I knew this and I just spaced it. The Marvel shows are only going to be six episodes instead of eight. So that might. Jip. 
So I might shake some things up a little bit, uh, but they could also be longer episodes, to be fair. I don't know. Mm-hmm. We, we'll just have to wait and see. WandaVision comes out. We're going to do that over on the next episode. Uh, but also, if you look and, and listen to the show and you're like, well, why is December so bare? December's bare because Star Wars is, that's their, their little nugget of the calendar. So they take that on. But we'll cover it all as it comes out. Um, obviously, the season two was a banger. If you haven't seen it, uh, see it because you're slipping. Bruh. You're slipping. You're slipping. Uh, on that note, Chris, let's just get into this news because we got a lot to cover. I'll start it off, though. Hitting you with the Cyberpunk 2077 refunds. Uh, this is been crazy news to me i'm i love video games i'm not the the biggest head in that where i know everything and i can talk about the market or the industry itself yes yes but yes, yes, yes 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 this game has been in the works for years and now oh boy it's out i was i i can't we've talked about it multiple times on this show and i've been super excited about this game sure but apparently this game has dropped the motherfucking ball. It had everything to be excited about, you know, Cyberpunk 2077. It's it's futuristic. It's sort of it's basically Grand Theft Auto in the future, right? Like the weapons are modified, bodies, people, everybody's bodies are modified. Yeah. It also teased us. It teased us with the fact that when you customize your character's looks, you can customize their genitalia. Like this movie or this movie, this game was saying basically like, hey. We're not pulling any fucking punches. You think you've played video games before? You're about to play an experience. And that experience so far <laughs> they, has they been did, shitting deliver, your pants. They did deliver an experience, not the one they were going for. But mm-hmm. apparently this game works the best on Nintendo Switch somehow. This game works the best in your garbage can. <laughs> uh, so much so that... Sony has removed it from the PlayStation Store, is offering refunds. GameStop is offering refunds. Uh, Best Buy is offering refunds. Xbox is also offering refunds. And across all these different uh, retail platforms are different, somewhat different um, rules or stimulus. I don't know what's the word I'm looking for. Stipulations? Stipulations will work. So... Some people are saying that, yeah, you can return the game or you can get a refund, but you have to forfeit the game. The only way to get this game for PlayStation 4 or PlayStation 5 is in a CD form. Um, I would say, too, I feel like the some of these announcements that have come out from CD Projekt Red. Is that right? Did I say that right? Yes. Yeah, you said that right. They have been very casual. Like this, I feel like this is be like a big deal to fix now. They've been working yes. on this game for like five years, and oh I get boy, that, so so long. I get that it takes time, and they did a whole, they kind of did a revamp midway through. But man, this has been one of the most talked about games in since they announced it at E three. It's it because, and that's that's the thing here. There, there's a part of me that has to. I guess the word I would use is like be compassionate in a sense because this is one of the biggest issues with technology growing right is that the the difference between a playstation 4 and a playstation 5 okay 
but you can see it graphically different runs on different interfaces it's got these things but technology can only make so many ginormous leaps and bounds right so <clears throat> leaps to the five all of a sudden this game promises it's going to be the greatest open world experience you ever had it's so big it's so massive everything's so detailed that the game gets bogged down in itself because we don't have the technology to actually run something like that the problem that we're seeing with this game specifically is like you said it's been in production it's been teased for years and i saw really of all things i saw a fantastic tiktok where a guy was making fun of this idea which is the concept that when you and i were younger men and we went down and said i'd love to have grand theft auto san andreas for playstation 2 please and they said there you go there's your game and you went home and you put the d the cd in the thing and you played that game you had the whole game you had all of it if there was anything wrong with the game or a glitch that was just part of the fucking game like that's what it was the issue we're right. seeing now with cyberpunk 2077 is that what is essentially happening is the company developing the game is saying pay us 60 dollars, please here's 40 percent of a game but as you have this game We'll keep doing updates so that we'll keep right. making it better. Is that a cop-out or is that like... I think I think it's a cop-out because I right. think the idea is I made a full product for you. You bought it. We're proud of it. Oh, there are some issues. We're going to update and fix those. They went into this basically saying, give us your money and we'll complete it because we have your money. We'll finish the game down the road. And down that's where people road, are having yeah. problems. They're saying, I paid you $60 so that you maybe can give me a full game in five years that's not how this works you give me a full game and then you fix issues that we find yeah you give me and a, so it's you give me a, an add-on package uh more levels and more toys could you to play with. could yeah. you imagine that happening in any other industry could you imagine, let's just say for example you go to a restaurant for a nice fancy dinner you sit down and they come out and they say hey I'm gonna need you to pay me 120. I'm gonna need you to pay me 120 dollars so you can have your dinner. Oh, that's unorthodox, but I understand. It's probably some sort of uh, prefix menu. Okay, here's 120 dollars cash. Okay, um, the chef's gonna be cooking that. It's probably gonna take mm, two to three days. So just hang out here, and we'll just bring you plates as they're done. It's like fuck you, man. What? (laughs) Yeah, there's there's definitely. There's definitely multiple ways to look at this in, in the sense of two of technology. Now I'm going to play devil's advocate slightly on the fence because uh, I'm not, this isn't, this is more of an excuse of anything, but we have had a, uh, a system upgrade, right? We got a PS five sure. now and a new Xbox um, making in the middle of this game coming out. So there's probably an adjustment there. However, we also saw a glitch with the new Spider game, uh, Spider Man game, Miles Morales, with right the different things. Well, you could be a dumpster or a box, or you could be a fucking dumpster. That, that this plays exactly. I'm so glad you brought that up. It plays exactly into my. I wouldn't say it. Call it a theory. I would just call it like a causality that you make bigger, crisper, open world games. And you're going to have a lot more technical problems because of the openness of the game. It's why you see success in a game like the newest God of War or let's just stick with that because that game is absolutely perfectly beautiful, but it's also super linear. Even when it's telling you this is an open world experience, you only have certain guided areas you're really going to so they can focus on those areas. 
in spider Miles Morales, a great example. You can fucking swing. You come to a street, you can go left, right, backwards, upwards, downwards, where the fuck you want. So the system itself, we're promising and building these things that we can't quite translate perfectly. And so they're flawed from the very beginning. Yeah, and I think that's another thing, too, for a lot of the general public. That's kind of hard to understand is like how the shit works. It's very hard to say. It's hard to say somebody, hey, I know you just paid $600 for a PS5, but if you want Cyberpunk 2077 to really work, we're going to need you to buy a $4,000 Alienware desktop computer because that's the only way things are going to not clip. And it's people being like, what? (laughs) What do you mean? I have to spend, yeah, we need you to basically have um, a computer they would use at NORAD. We need you to have that in your bedroom to play this game. Oh, okay. Cool, man. Yeah. Long story long, though. um, If you've bought the game, there's a window that you can get your refund. Um, If you're looking to play the game on PlayStation 4 or 5, you're going to have to buy it at, at a store. And there's supposedly patches coming. I don't, I don't know what else to tell you, but uh, it seems like highway robbery a little bit. It's, it just seems sure. a very it's, suspect. This is just a, this is a, the example of putting out a product before it's ready, trying to make, I don't know, investors, somebody else happy. Absolutely. And not work. Absolutely. Not, not you promised happy. too much. Honestly, it's what it's, uh, I do think it's what I said earlier. It's we're out of money. We need to push this live, to and then what money, money yeah. we make, we can finish the game. But that's a snake that eats its own head. That's how you end up becoming rareware, where you're trying so hard to make quality content, you end up bankrupting yourself. I will say this, though. I mean, with Miles, with the Miles Morales game, I never saw that glitch or anything that happened. There were no, things, you didn't get that. Yeah. There were things... I think there's a limit and a window of... of glitches in games that are like all right like i talked to you about this i was like yeah there's like this scene where the cell phone's just like floating in the middle of the air like and she's while miles morales's mom is cooking in the kitchen or sure there's snow coming in from outside that's in the window but the window's closed like right Uh, stuff like that great point too i think that's why i think that's where cyberpunk 2077 separates itself for being bad is because if you watch the review videos and things like that, it's not snow coming through the window. It's not a floating phone. It's the fact that there are things like when you take your gun out and you start shooting into the water, there's no, the bullets aren't hitting the water in every other game on the same level. You fire a gun into the water. The water's going to have little splatters, right? It doesn't have that. You hop out of your car going a hundred miles an hour and your character is immediately on their feet, standing still like, (laughs) It's the attention to details, the glitches or whatever, like a glitch that's hilarious in 2077 is the fact that you can make your naked body any way you want. But then sometimes you're like, if you're a chick, your tits will just be coming out of your shirt, like through your shirt or your dick will be hanging out of the middle of your pants. Like, why is that even a, why is that even an option? Because people thought it was clever because we're, you know, we're becoming more like, oh, well, if you can augment your body, you can augment your pecker. But but I, whatever. I mean, if, Go if nuts. DC's gonna throw but, a Batman's dick in a comic, we yeah. should be able to swing some dick in a. All I'm saying is those are <laughs> glitches. The poor game design is the fact they don't think about things like you can take a 200 story drop and your character's fine, and it's like 
what? Like, and, and you didn't fall like gracefully. It wasn't like a superhero drop. You just sort of fell normal. So, like everything was standing still, but you and hit the ground and be like, I'm okay. And keep running. Like, fuck off guys. This game is not built, but that's okay. I mean, you can fall in Spider-Man. You do like this little barrel roll from. Sure. He's got a barrel. The- he's Spider-Man too. He's, you know, he's super strong. It's all relative yeah, yeah. to physics of the world. Whatever. It's a felony, Brad. <laughs> Speaking of felonies, my God, I'm so glad you brought that up. <laughs> Monday night. They're back, baby. They're back. For you. Here's a stimulus felony for you. Monday night, Congress approved an over $2 trillion government spending and coronavirus relief package that included a handful of controversial, controversial, sorry about that, copyright and trademark measures. For those uh, boys and girls out there that don't understand how government works and how shady it fucking is, uh, a bill is never just a bill. A bill is a conglomeration of a bunch of little tiny things in there it's that usually tat. fuck us over. It's a tip for uh, In this one, uh, a felony streaming bill, which was authorized by Thom Tillis, could be Tom, but if you put a T and an H together, it should be Thom. Is it Thom? No, I don't know. So his so his name's Thomas Tillis. Whatever uh, was included. He's a rep- he's a Republican uh, from North Carolina was included as part of that massive package. So what we're talking about here is the felony results in a prison sentence of three to a harsher five-year sentence if the aforementioned digital transmission includes more than one movie or television show. Here's what this is basically saying. If you, and Brad, correct me if I'm wrong here, but if you include copyrighted material in your video, your YouTube video or whatever, but you're not really ripping off it, ripping off the thing. You're just, let's say, commenting on it. Well, there's you two could thi- be put away, right? There's, there's two things here. And the copyright thing's a little blurry, but the main thing is, this is piracy. This is, with sure. with Warner Brothers dropping their big news about um, their whole slate going to HBO Max is a big concern about piracy. Now, piracy's been kind of like a slap on the wrist this is making it a real kick in the dick. This is now a felony for downloading something, which is still, I, I don't know. It, in this year has changed things for sure. I don't really. I thought there was a. I thought there was a part of this. It was like if you played a song well, on the, your YouTube video, you could actually be prosecuted now so if you didn't have consent. There, there. There is that copyright thing, which has also been added as part of this bill, and that is, they're kind of like going, they're upping the ante in small claims courts with with copyright stuff, mm-hmm. but that's, again, it's, it's such a battle for all of this that, I mean, for, for a long time, I don't know if you've ever seen the show IT Crowd, it's one of my favorite shows. Oh, hell yeah. But do you remember the episode where... He, they're trying to watch the movie, but and there's like that FBI warning at the beginning, and it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. don't pirate For movies, sure. and it, and they like raid For his sure. house and all that. Like, this is supposed to be like a, a crackdown from what has currently been in place, which I don't know how this shit works. To be honest, it, it, this is so weird to me how you can crack down and how you can how you find out that that someone else is watching a a pirated film sure or downloading illegal music it's it's a really weird game without tapping into someone's device so there's really some gray area there and i think it's very interesting that they're up in the ante 
mostly because streaming has taken off in the level that it has, I think that uh, this is one. Of, I feel like this is another tit for tat thing on it to appease somebody who feels someone in Hollywood's like, yo, they're. I don't want them to pirate stuff anymore. Here's another million. Fight for this bill to get passed, but they've upped the right, ante. It's now a felony. It, get it done. It's now a felony, though. Before it's like it, again, it was a slap on the wrist. I mean, Napster was a big thing, and you would hear these weird stories. I, I don't know about you, Chris, but I would always, I feel like I was hearing these stories about like the FBI cracking down and like coming in because some kid played Dr. Dre's new single before sure. it came out. So it was like, uh oh, they got him. They just like, oh, we'll see what we'll do if you're not careful. See, the weird thing is, is like a lot of these streaming platforms are okay with sharing passwords, but then. The, they'll be like uh uh-uh, uh no you don't yeah exactly and again i don't know how it works where because I, I i don't even know if i see now it's a felony i don't want to even say anything <laughs> right right it's like okay but there okay. are websites that you that scrape the internet for links to watch movies or tv shows absolutely for free. there's freaking sites that you basically go to and just say i want to watch blank movie and they say here it is so how do you crack down i mean Honestly, this feels like, it just feels like an update to the, you know what I mean? Like, not a scare tactic necessarily, but just like, ray, uh, what's what's it called? It's from Batman. You know, when like, you know, we get the body armor, they get armor piercing rounds, you know? It's mm-hmm. kind of like mm-hmm. the idea of like, you have more ways to steal, so we're going to up the penalty. Yeah. And then we'll find a few examples and we'll punish them heavily to scare you so you don't pirate Dune. Well, here's it's like, the- just pay the 13 bucks and watch Dune or whatever. The other side of this too, there's other things in this package, and sure, one of the things that's also in this deal is, um, a stimulus package. It's it's part of a stimulus package for like checks for people who need money right now. It's a whole part of that whole thing. The fact that the, this is tacked onto that is wild. But also in this bill is fifteen. I want to say it's fifteen billion dollars to the movie theater industry. Interesting. It's either fifteen billion or fifty million. I know it's a big jump. It's one of those. <laughs> fifteen million seems small to me, but fifteen billion seems, sounds right. It's got to be billion because that's a billion's a lot of money. It's a lot of bill. It's a lot of millions. Which is crazy to me that this is tacked onto a bill that also has money coming to people who are struggling. Yeah, it's. I get they that just, the they put it all they clamp it all into one. Yeah, you know? which and is it's, a, it's an industry that has been hit very, very hard, obviously. Which, I, which I'm very familiar with, and I understand. But the fact that it's tied to a bigger cause is, I don't know how I feel about that. As much as I love the theater industry and love going to the movies, yeah. But keep them in business, man. Keep them in business. Speaking of studios, though. Back. Speaking of all hey, the studios, studios and the movie industry, Chris, I'm talking about The Lion, yeah. The Witch, and 007. Wow, that, what a film. That's right. The uh, <laughs> Wouldn't that be a great film? What a hell of a thing. James Bond just shooting kids. Sure. Shoot, uh, James Bond and Narnia. <laughs> I'd, I'd watch it. Uh, MGM has tapped investment banks uh, Morgan Stanley and the Lion Tree LLC to begin the process of a formal sale. Now, uh, MGM is been around for years they've done wizard of oz they've done uh i think rocky um james bond and they have a huge cons- other m for 
it's Metro Goldwyn, and I'm gonna say Myers, Myers. but that's probably yeah. wrong. Oh, it's something is like it? that. Yeah. Sick. Yeah, this is an old, old company, old Hollywood, but uh, old Hollywood, old Jewish Hollywood. But then um, turned casino. So now they're they're the company um, owns a film library that includes James Bond, Rocky. Uh, and more, and is reportedly has five point five billion market uh, dollar market value, so they're looking to sell in previous years. But uh, the time, uh, this time, the company is reporting, hoping to draw attention to international media companies, private equity investors, and blank check companies rather than traditional Hollywood studios. We're still waiting on this James Bond movie again. Another studio in Fleck, like in flux about what to do. In the current state, yeah. but this is such it's an old so. company. I mean, I would—it's it's crazy. Didn't we all just bail Morgan Stanley out like during the Big Sick? Didn't you know? Or the or not the Big Sick? Sorry, the Big Short. I felt like didn't weren't they going to go bankrupt? And the government saved them. Now they're going to spend five point five billion dollars. Well, uh, I don't think they're. They just tapped those investment banks as like, hey. To begin the process, so it's not sure, 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 sure. Well, as long as nothing changes, you know, it's just, it's just they're they're buying it as an asset, not for control. What? Disney, um, MGM's available. Yeah, pick them up, dog. No, if they pay MGM, they no. got. They, I think that'd put them in monopoly status, right? Uh, I don't know if I don't know if those. If you're HBO Max, if you're AT and T, you should probably hop on this. Yeah, you got to get that. Rocky, I mean, Rock- 5.5 billion. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of cheddar. But you have the worst streaming service, and you're charging the most. So that's true. That is, a, it is a bad streaming service. It does not have any features I like. No, even though they have some good shows, uh, it's I mean, almost impossible Flight to of, find anything to watch. Flight Attendant was pretty good. Was is that? it good? I want to watch that with Kelly Kowoko. Yeah. <laughs> Brad, you know what Kowoko sounds like when I say it out loud? Tell me what it sounds like. It sounds like boba. Doesn't Kawoka sound like Boba? No. Anyways, to the book of Boba, uh, we're getting some clarity, everybody, on Disney Plus's The Mandalorian spinoff, which is going to be called The Book of Boba Fett. And that was a surprising scene at the end of season two finale. Sorry, a big spoiler there for you. Not super spoiler-ish. You knew Boba Fett was in Mandalorian or you've been living under a rock. In a hard Um, place. But this one was, you know, at the end, there's an end credit scene where basically... Uh, Boba Fett shows up to Jabba's palace. It's now Bib Fortuna, the freaking tentacle-headed motherfucker that used to be Jabba's little assistant. Who He's gained in some charge. Weight. Another character who gained a lot of weight. If you're listen, if you're gonna be a uh, if you're a crime lord in the outer rim, you can get fat. You just get to sit there and eat all day. I think it's actually a, an idea of like if you're in power, you get to have the food in poor outer rim communities. Not the point. The point is Boba Fett puts a freaking laser beam right through that son of a bitch and takes over. As being the, uh, I would say the criminal, I don't know, boss, the freaking godfather of the Outer Rim. Uh, so we're gonna get to see where that takes us. Uh, let's see here. It'll be a standalone spinoff series and not a replacement for the Mandalorian season three. 
the Mandalorian creator and showrunner John Favreau confirmed Monday while he was on Good Morning America. He basically cleared up there's been rumors because they were filming a show with only Boba Fett, but Pedro Pascal wasn't there and neither were any of the characters of Mandalorian 3 and people were confused if possibly season 2 was the last season of Mandalorian and season 3 would be switched to Boba Fett. No, he cleared up the fact that Boba Fett, the book of Boba, is going to be its own show yeah. and Mandalorian will continue on its route. Are you excited for this, Brad? Um, Of course. I mean, anything involving Boba Fett, especially now that we get to focus on him as like a main character. Um, and we talked we talked more in depth about this over on the next episode, so check that out uh, immediately following this episode. But yeah, um, definitely. I mean, we're getting... Here's the thing. We've been following Skywalker, blah, blah, blah. And Boba Fett's always been a fan favorite, and now we're getting this world where we can kind of explore not only Boba Fett, but like other Mandalore and and really stretch out. I think I think it's cool. I think I mean seeing Boba Fett use his rocket launcher being a thing from a toy that was like a choking hazard to now on the screen, I think is phenomenal. That's a word that John Favreau or Vince Vaughn would use. Phenomenal. Crab cakes? Try the crab cakes. They're phenomenal. Now, one thing before we step away from this, I do want to just impart a little something, just so we can have it on record, Brad. Uh, my theory, which I've been sharing out quite wildly for the Book of Boba, anybody that's interested in listening to this, um, they might be saying, the Book of Boba Fett, what's that show going to be about? Um, I, here's my theory, I, and it's all in the title for me. If this show was called Boba Fett, I would be sold on the idea that this is a show about what happens after he takes over as Crime Lord of the Outer Rim. The fact that it's called The Book of Boba Fett changes my theory, and here's my big theory. This will be an anthology show, and every each episode will be a different story from Boba Fett's life. Now, I think they'll be out of order is my idea. So, for instance, the first episode of that season will be what happens to him directly continuing season two of Mandalorian, taking over the Outer Rim. Hmm. But maybe, he, let's say he has a memory moment or whatever. I think maybe the second episode, let's say it's um, when he's a boy, right after Jango dies. What does that kid do to make his way in the galaxy? The next episode could be him escaping from the Sarlacc pit. The next episode, we're back to him at present day when he's in charge and he's in whatever issues going on with the being a crime lord, right? Mm-hmm. And then we go back to the next episode. Let's say it's between the time that he picked up Han Solo from Darth Vader and to get him to Jabba the Hutt, maybe there's a uh, an issue he runs into. So the idea that's called The Book of really makes me feel like this will be an anthology showing his life and the things that have happened that got him to where he is today. But just a theory, something ex- it could be really exciting and fun to watch. Interesting. Uh, I will comment too. That might go side by side with what's been coming out about the the Lando series, and exactly we, we talked about that about um, not knowing if it was going to be Mister Colt Forty Five himself or if it was going to be Childish Gambino. Right. Um, apparently, it's been rumored that uh, it's going to be kind of like a flashback series, so it's going to have both. Cool. See, and I, I could I could definitely see that happening. Like it's so much cooler to tell a story where with a character like the, like when we get, you know, the Mandalorian, our our Mando that we love, 
we don't need to really know where he's from. We get some flashbacks. We really want to see what his journey is in front of him. With a character like Boba Fett, you know, you feel like you've missed out on years of his life with Lando Calrissian. You need to fill in the gaps. Right. And I think there's an opportunity to say, okay, let's fill in those goddamn gaps. Ahsoka is a different story because we've had Clone Wars and Rebels to see where she's been going. Right. We don't get that. Boba Fett does make appearances in Clone Wars. Or does he make appearances in Rebels too? He makes appearances in Clone Wars for sure. He might be in Rebels, but um, but you know he's he's young, and I think they could they could expand on that. I personally would like to see more more of a future than backstories, but I think if I think if that's why I love the idea of an anthology series. I think it'd be fun if they mixed in what's happening now, and even if the show isn't episode by episode, but if like almost like a slumdog millionaire approach, right? Where he's running into issues that he's finding moving forward, mm -hmm. trying to refine himself that are reminding him of things that happened when he was a boy or I, when he was younger or when he was in these situations. Like we need an episode with him in the Sarlacc pit, just getting out of what absolutely. happened, how that, he got out, that's how happen. he, who healed him. Yes. Like shit like that. You know what I mean? I will say that. Yes. I would agree that that episode definitely needs to happen. However, I am not a fan of, the idea, an anthology series is one thing, but I, I definitely hate that when shows do this thing where there's this uh, current timeline, and then they take a step back, and it. Sure, one episode. One episode is like a flashback. It's not an anthology, but it's a flashback. All the time, it gets a little bit old. Yeah, so I there's two things that shows do to fill and I don't like and that is one is it's the same show from a different character's point of view and the second is a flashback to explain something absolutely those are two filler absolutely. episodes which is why I think it'd be a really fun thing if this show was literally an episode by episode like you you got into an episode and it was literally like chapter five like if it mm -hmm. said like imagine you click episode and it says chapter five the Sarlacc pit Chapter six, Han Solo. Like, it's all this idea of, like, each one is just a story from the book of his life. But I will say that What's-Her-Name's supposed to be in the show, too, and, and is a main character. Yeah, Fennec, so. Fennec will be in there, too, which is which is really cool. So, like she's a cool character, and she yes. knows how to wreck. She knows how to wreck. It also makes me think that um, it, it won't be an anthology series because of that, but I yeah. do like that idea. Yeah, I will say that. I do. I, I'm kind of, my, my whole thing, I think my theory stems from the idea of like, like I said, the title, but also I'm like, what's, what does he need to accomplish? He's not a character that has means, but we didn't know what our Mandalorian needed until he found baby Yoda. So who fucking knows, right? Yeah. Scared money don't make none. Uh, speaking of money though, Chris, we got to talk about Miss Patty Jenkins. Um, she got well, to I'm get... talking about Patty. <laughs> Wonder Woman director, big, now she's Hopping over to the uh, Star Wars world. But, you know, the whole thing with Warner Brothers dropping, this is pretty much an update to Warner Brothers uh, dropping their whole thing. I and mean, there's actually more to this in the next story. But um, she was very okay with it coming to streaming with her back ends being paid, I'm going to assume. Nice. I, gotta get that money, baby. They paid Gal Gadot, what? Rollerblading ten, ten million? Was it ten million? That sounds right to me. They paid her ten million to release it on Christmas, Saturday. Oh, damn. 
God damn, God so damn. now Patty Jenkins is saying that she would be very hesitant to direct Wonder Woman 3 unless it had a proper theatrical release. And this is what she said, quote, Ooh. I know that I'd love to do a third one if the circumstances were right and there was still a theatrical model possible. I don't know that I would be if there wasn't. So this is like some backhanded shit for me. Like, I'm, I'm like, okay... Your movie was supposed to be in theaters. I get it. I understand all of that. Now, when Warner Brothers dropped this news, you were the only person to back them. And now, mm-hmm. Wonder Woman 3 comes in the mix, and you're like, well, if there's a theatrical release, I'll do it. She's like the first one at the gate to eat the food, and then everyone else is complaining that they're not getting fed like she is. And then she's right, like... Right, right. It, so this is kind. Of, this kind of sets a, a weird tone for me. Like, I mean, Wonder Woman has been the best movie out of the whole Warner Brothers uh, or DC EU or whatever it's called nowadays. And she's done right. a great job. And she's a great director. Well, and, and, and it helps that the fact that the early reviews for Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four have been extremely positive. They're calling it a worthy successor, a fun time. It extends that storyline. It feels good. Like, if, the, if it had come out and been like, oh, lukewarm, then it would have been like, okay. But the fact that she knocked it out of the park on a sequel to that movie with all the things been going on, and then she's getting paid that sick Disney money now for a Rogue Squadron movie. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like, that's only helping elevate her case. Now, I'm, I'm gonna, I'll tell you what, I'm a proponent. Not only am I a proponent for women directors, because I think it's important, because they're amazing, yeah. Just as amazing as men. Um, if not better. If not better sometimes. Uh, I think it's really important to realize, like, this is somebody special. And the fact that she is coming out saying, like, she's, she's it's what we talked about last week, right? Where it's like, I love that you love your craft, but part of me sometimes gets a little bent out of shape. And people are like, I love making art, but I want my money. And <laughs> yeah, this is like, that's what well, I'm saying. This is weird. You do you do deserve your paycheck? You should you you deserve your paycheck the same way that Coogler does. Like I could go through a whole list of of Marvel, Absolutely. Star Wars, DC directors who deserve their paycheck, right? But it's like where where do you bend the line between like making something good and helping that franchise and being a part of something special mm-hmm. or not? A great example. Peyton, here's a good example. <laughs> I noticed this because did you notice who the last Mandalorian episode was directed by? Robert Rodriguez. Peyton Reed. Oh, it was, you're right. It's Peyton Reed. That Ooh. motherfucker is dedicated. Like, and I like the idea that he's like, I'll make Ant-Man movies. I'll come in and do a couple episodes of Mandalorian. I just want to be a part of it and do some I'll fun shit. I'll take over Fantastic Four. Exactly. Like, I'll come and do that. Fuck yeah. You want me to handle it? Shit. And he's talented and he's not a well-known director. Patty Jenkins has a well-known name. Ryan Coogler has a well-known name. Robert Rodriguez even. Well-known name. The fact that Peyton Reed's like, people don't really know who I am. But I make good shit and I'm okay with that. Like it's that it's that imbalance between pay me what I deserve and pay me to be interested in making this thing. Yeah, I mean I I guess the thing that rubs me wrong in this scenario is it's kind of like um it's kind of like athletes and owners. Right? Like you have your studios and unfortunate for Warner Brothers to be owned by AT&T, their model 
or their business models change. It's not about, it's not like Disney where content is key or, I mean, they're not looking for cell phone sales or subscribers, right? Like they're just looking for their product more so than anything else. But here you have someone who's like the poster child of, uh, that's siding with you about your big news with your slate dropping in 2021. And then because they're the first one out the gate that got paid from my, that's from what I see. But when it comes down to like riding with everybody else, they're like, Oh yeah, we're on that side too. It's like, it doesn't really, it doesn't align. Right. Exactly. It's like, like if I'm Christopher Nolan, who didn't get paid his back end to, but also fought to keep a movie in the theater. Different scenario. Very different. Yes. It seems like it was brought to Patty Jenkins and Wonder Woman cat and all those people on Wonder Woman 84. It was like, Hey, we're going to drop it here. We're going to make sure we cover all of this stuff. So you guys are good. And then they dropped the whole slate and, and then you get like lawsuits coming up with legendary films. You got the, your slate off and now this next story which Chris I, I know you'll get into about Dune but now you you have an IP project that's the front runner of your entire DCEU winning thing like nothing else right. is won out of that so much so that, also a great bargaining chip for her right exactly like you guys' show, your guys' movies, fucking blow. How about you pay me money and I'll keep making good stuff that people watch? It's like, God damn it, Patty! But then she's gonna throw a, was she gonna put her foot down when she's like, oh, but it's big, it doesn't get a theatrical release. No, you right. signed. I feel for me, it's like you signed that. S- sign a contract, make the movie. You signed that away when you took the money for Christmas Day. You can't do that, like. I don't know. It just sits wrong with me. I don't like it. I don't like it. I, I don't like it. I don't like You know what I don't like, Brad? <laughs> the script froze, so I don't know. You say the script froze? Yeah, you're the little thing. The the, the I lost connection with my mouse. <laughs> oh, no, now it's connected. Okay. Hey, here's what I... Here's what I... Whatever you Speaking said, of Brad. Warner Brothers, Chris, tell me about S- Dune. Speak it. Hey, listen. You know what gets in my hey, car, Brad? You know what really sand. grinds my gears? You know what else you'll find sand, Brad, is on a sand dune. Oh, I'm so glad you brought up sand dunes. According to Deadline, the solution to fight between... Oh, hold on. According to Deadline, the solution to the fight between Legendary Pictures and Warner Brothers could be that Dune goes back to a traditional theatrical-only release modality. With the film currently set for an October 1, 2021 release date, the idea is that the COVID-19 vaccines expected to be distributed to the general population by late spring of next year and herd immunity may actually achieve, you know, getting herd immunity so we could go back to the movies, which would make it theoretically safer to return to theaters and thus more likely that the public would be returning to normal. This would not apply to Legendary's other releases like Godzilla vs. Kong, which may stay with the hybrid release format due to its May 20, 21st, 2021 release date. Basically what's saying here is 
they're all in a big deal because Warner Bros. are releasing all of their movies onto HBO Max, and Legendary says, no, they belong in movie theaters. Well, there's also and a lawsuit. Looking at, yeah. And there's a lawsuit. But looking at Dune, its timeline, we're all, us general people are supposed to have, at the latest, the vaccine by September. So we could realistically go back to the movies for October 1, opposed to, again, like I said, Godzilla vs. Kong, which we won't have the vaccine. It could be dangerous. So what a what a mess they're in. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, also, keep in mind that uh, Netflix offered a lot of money to Legendary for Godzilla vs. Kong, and they Warner Brothers convinced them to not to take that money, which is where the lawsuit sparks. Exactly. So now you have this debacle of Warner Brothers and Legendary Pictures kind of coming back on their word. So I'm curious to just the general public, like you can't say that something's coming to your home and then take it back. I feel like that's a that's a dangerous, very dangerous ground. It it is uh, yes, real. You're you're rolling the dice, right? Absolutely, and I think, I think you put in the when you put that into people's minds. My first initial thought is like, people love to do things out of spite. Sure. You fuck. Oh, you know you're not gonna do that. Then I'm not gonna do this. So like for me, out of out fuck the, you out the out the gate, I'm like. People are probably going to be like, I'm not going to go see that movie. They pulled it. It was supposed to be on HBO Max. Now it's in the theater. I'm not going to go see it. I mean, I don't think people All think right. that in depth of that sort of thing. But one, they're relying on the vaccine being a thing. And I, again, just because the vaccine's out, it doesn't mean things are going to go back to normal. There's a whole bunch yeah, of people like it's who... immediately going to be like, everything's fine. You're st- yeah, exactly. And there's a whole bunch of people who are like, I'm not taking that vaccine. Yeah, no. Oh, yeah, this well, is a whole well, other it's story. All fucking, uh, it's a fucking hoax, bro. Trump's behind it. I'm not taking it. I don't know. Like, it's, it's a big debate, and it's very confusing. I hope everyone makes the decision that best suits them to where they can sleep at night. But again... Right. They're basing this on a, a vaccine that may or may not be in, in place to the general public. I think it's I think it's dumb. I don't, shouldn't say dumb. I don't think it's a, a, a good move to say you're going to do something and then come back and not do it. And like, because you got a backlash. Right. Yes. Exactly. Because people weren't because people weren't jazzed about it. You're like, well, maybe we could make some changes. Especially when you have Patty Jenkins. Just to ta- just to go back to Wonder Woman real quick. Especially when you yeah, have let's head back. Especially when you have Patty Jenkins, who's like, I'm not going to support that. Right. So I don't. It's it's a messy thing. I think you made the decision. Stick to it. Deal with it. Adjust. Sure. Take the L if it's an L, or take the W and change the game. But I don't think, I think this puts a damper on people's perceptions of films. I think that we find, especially with these sequels, like movies that people don't necessarily want, like Terminator, 
whatever the last one that came out. Yeah, Genesis or whatever. It was a sequel that we, I think people would be open to, but wasn't that oh, we Dark wanted. Oh, Dark Fate. Yeah, that's what it was. Dark Fate, yeah. It's like that whole, it falls in that stigma. I think, two, uh, f- movies that have been pushed back don't necessarily do well either. Right? Right, I agree. Yeah. So you've pushed people who are excited for them and they're mm-hmm. kind of forget about them. They're like, and they, and it's hard to get re-excited for something. Right. And for some reason it works with trolls. trolls. People just goddamn love those trolls. Trolls made a move, but that's what I'm saying. Like they trolls made a quick move. Boom. It worked for their current circumstances. And they kept moving. Tenant worked kind of, but it still suffered. But the art, it, it, it suffered for the art side of things. Exactly. Yes. So, I, I mean, Dune is... A, I feel like Dune's going to be another Ready Player One. It's just such a big production. There's so exactly. much that went into it. I, I, it's beautifully shot. A great director. The cinematography is fantastic. The source material is wonderful. It has potential to be an epic that will all... Uh, on the scale of Harry Potter... Um, but it just depends on how they execute this first movie. But is it going to fall into a similar situation of Cyberpunk 2077? It's possible. I don't see that coming. Bell, uh, Dennis Villeneuve is is a beautiful director. This cast is stellar. Like I said, the story seems like it's going to be solid. There's so much material to work from. This is a, it's a great it's cast. A, and, it's all at, and the thing about Dune is that it's not... Dune is it doesn't just rely on one thing. Cyberpunk 70, 2077 really relies on this one idea of like it's the future. You can do whatever you want. Dune is rich with like politics and atmosphere in the books, and I feel like that's why the pairing is so well. I could really see this movie being phenomenal, like show-stoppingly amazing. Um, and then we'll have to go from there and how that looks for the future. But we'll just see what happens. It's going to be a real weird ride. Yeah, I just feel like uh, too just. Tapping back into the Cyberpunk 2077 reference is it losing the count like the hype and not living up to the hype because we get pushed back. We get this oh they don't they can put it in theaters they're gonna be on HBO Max like we don't know. That's the hardest part, right? Yeah. So the, I mean the market is messed up. That's obviously why there's a fifteen billion dollar uh, saving stimulus package. For the movie theaters, I don't know. I I think if you if you make a move to put a movie like to your whole slate, and that's like a your statement you're making, stick to it, suffer the consequences because you said it. You're trying to set a principle. Agree. Live and die by the gun. Live by it, die by it. Chris, let's get into this main topic. Are you ready for to talk about the movies that made us? I'm ready to holiday? jump into the main stuff. I'm really excited. This is gonna be a good one. <laughs> So one of our favorite shows we talk about all the time is this show called The Movies That Made Us slash The Toys That Made Us. And now it's the Hollywood, uh, not Hollywood, Holiday Movies That Made Us. The Hollywood That Made Us. (laughs) The Holiday Movies That Made Us, which is a a two episode special, I guess it's considered. Uh, They covered two films, which we'll talk about, which is one is Elf and The Nightmare Before Christmas. And there's so much stuff that they do on this um, show on Netflix. They dive, they dive deep into some. You find out stuff about things that you you didn't even think were a thing. 
No, you, number one, just to get ahead of all this, we're going to talk about it a bunch. It's so goddamn hard to get a movie made, to make a movie, True. and to push a movie out. And this show, if you've ever been like, oh, bud, making movies, it must be just a fucking cinch. No, if you watch any episode of the movies that made us or the holiday movies that made us, there are literally a hundred times in every single movie you've ever watched where somebody went, I think we're going to have to pull the plug on this one. And yet somehow it just happenstance, luck, whatever you want to call it, it all just comes together to make this movie. We've seen it so many times where, I mean, we've seen it to the point where a movie has actually been canceled, but picked up by a different studio and produced. Or the budget's crazy. The, the, hey, we here's the finished movie. Oh, psych, it's not finished, but if you give us another $8 million, it will be. Like, every single movie, this thing highlights these classics, these parts that are ingrained in our psyche of all these movies that we love. They were a hair they were a fucking razor blade away from never being made which only makes your mind start to wander as to like how many of the and it's that old saying the greatest movie of all time was never made and it really is true because you could think the the movie that would have been that everyone the citizen kane the, that would have made citizen kane look like a freaking piece of shit on your shoe <laughs> that movie something went wrong along the way and it didn't get made and it, the script got lost, and the guy who wrote it died, or the woman who wrote it died, and we'll never get this movie that would have maybe made us all just change metaphysically. Yes. That's how delicate making a movie is. It's not just like, how much do you need? <laughs> Go make it. It's hard. It's really, it's a, it's a crapshoot. I feel like sometimes you see a movie, and you're like, who the fuck approved this? And then you see these other classic films who had to go through a ringer, and you're like, wow, they like, like this movie was made by a bunch of nobodies that just happened to knock it out the park, like just got exactly. lucky. Yeah. And I think they got lucky. You're absolutely right, Chris. I think this show definitely showcases that. I mean, any, all, all of the movies that they've done have been very interesting and things come out about the films that I never even knew. You never would see it coming. Which one are we talking about first? Let's talk about Elf first because there's a lot to there's a lot to unpack about Nightmare Before Christmas, and I think, um, I think there's a really great story in the Nightmare Before Christmas behind the scenes that a lot of people don't know. Uh, but we're talking Elf now. Elf is a classic Will Ferrell movie, also made before or during. I think Old School came out while they were making it, right? So, Will Ferrell's only movie before this was Night at the Roxbury. Now, this has a... I mean, Elf is a classic, classic holiday movie. So much so that it's a, a Broadway show, musical. Yeah. It's 84% certified fresh, 79% from uh, audience score. But who... Can you... Are you surprised? I love what you just said. What? Can you believe... What you were just talking about, about Will Ferrell in general, like that's one of the things we're going to get into it. But like the fact that you think of Will Ferrell and you're like, oh, he was always Will Ferrell. And you're mm -hmm. like, no, for him to be a lead actor in a movie, people were like, who? This guy's been a night at the Roxbury. He had already filmed, had old school in the can, but nobody knew who he was. Like they're like that, the, the SNL guy. He was, huh? he was actually a surprise win out of old school. Like he wasn't the main <laughs> character. 
No, and I think that's something funny that people think, especially nowadays, if you're a fan, there's a lot of people who aren't, but if you're a fan of SNL, right. like, just take a second to think about, like, that yeet, yeet! Could, could you imagine? Yeah, like, Pete Davidson's a great example. Like, Pete Davidson has been in movies, right? But there's not a lot of SNL main cast people who also are in movies. If they are in movies, they're secondary characters. They're never the main character. Even while the they're, while they're on the, the show. Whole, yeah, mm-hmm. Kate McKinnon's been in lots of movies. She's never the lead. It's always someone else. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah, Adam Sandler. Like, yeah, they, they it's like a, they use Sandler the SNL been, platform yeah. as a platform to leap, leap to off leap of. off yeah. if they can make it. So the fact that it's not that crazy to think, like, who, the SNL guy? We're going to give him his own movie? But then, obviously, we know how it all turns out. Right. Um, amazingly and surprisingly... And also, not surprisingly, this the movie that actually got made was directed by John Favreau. Isn't that wonderful? Our favorite Mandalorian. Can this guy, can this guy do Iron anything wrong? Jungle Book is great. Lion King's not wonderful. It's still a win. It's still a win, but it's not as good as Jungle Book or Mandalorian or Iron Man. No. But still, but, I mean, a good time. Again, okay, the worst thing on my resume is The Lion King. As Lion King because it was a direct copy of the original. Oh well, big whoop. Yeah, I mean, th- this guy's done more good than bad. That's for sure. Uh, but there's um, well, there's so much to talk about about this movie. This movie was actually pitched and and thought around Chris Farley. That's how old this movie fun? is. Uh, wild. They're like, yeah, there we go. So this movie was. Written by uh, I forget his name and I'm because I'm, I'm terrible with names. If you have a nerdy, me too. You know, just a guy who loved Chris's movies. This he movie was a nobody. Was, this movie he was, was a nobody. This movie was basically put together by three nobodies who had no exactly. connections to anybody, and yeah, they the got producers lucky. who were didn't know anybody. Mm-hmm. They were young. They had to con, like not con, but like be like, yeah, I think I can get this person, or I'll send an email. And like the movie's made by nobodies, and I think that's what's so beautiful about it. Yeah, basically, the guy that wrote it wanted to, he just loved Christmas movies and wanted to make um, a Christmas movie, lucked out with John Favreau directing, and John Favreau really took it on and wanted to make a movie about a father and son with his son, because his son is actually in the movie. Mm-hmm. And they, the, there's so much, there's there's so many cool things to talk about about this movie, but I want to start from the beginning where... This movie was bought by a studio, and they owned the rights, and there was talks about Chris Farley and all that. Chris Farley was killing it on SNL, and then he, I think he, he died, right, in the midst of all of it? Yeah, that sounds right. And they just kind of left this film at bay. Then he finally got it back and brought it. To a different producer who, if I could remember correctly, had a connection to uh, to Will Ferrell. Yeah, well, they the guy, they, you know, took this big, he's a very boisterous guy who was a nobody but pretended that he was, like, bigger than he was. Right. right? And he's like, yeah, I can get that. And then he basically just ground his way to the point of being like, hey, I'm going to get this fucking guy to do the movie. You know what I mean? Like, this thing was all stitched together around a really solid script, a good Christmas story. 
you know, but yeah, you're 100% right. The guy was like, I think I can make that happen. And then just ground his way to the point where Will Ferrell was like, yeah, I'm interested. It, it was it was a really weird connection, I remember. There was like someone who knows someone who knows the guy night at the Roxbury who might be interested. But John Favreau, exactly. it came down to John Favreau putting this thing together and making it and making it work. He wanted to take um, also, what's the what's the the company that puts together all the Christmas stuff? The, the stop motion. You know, that's great. Yeah. I Clive don't remember and, the name right now. We should be way better at this. But I, um, I watched it today. And I, I, should know. I, I watched it and I didn't write it down. You know, they're the people who made the original. And you, if you're listening, you watch these as a kid. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Um, Santa Claus is coming to town. That claymation style. They sort of had cornered the market on those films. Brad's Googling now, I think. I am. I am. <laughs> it's like something and something. It's Clive and something. Um, Rue, not really Rudy Giuliani. No, that's not the one. Or that ain't it. Rankin Bass. It's Rankin Bass. Rankin Bass. Yes. yes, Rankin Bass. Great. You know, we remember those. They're fantastic. They're fantastic. I think. I mean, this is John. This is John Favreau to the T. Like he knows what he has that nostalgia trigger, and he. So what they did was they took this script, and John Favreau was like, "Let's Franken bass the shit out of this fucking." Yeah, movie. let's just make this feel like that. Like to you know, you've seen Elf. Let's keep it. Let's keep it in that realm while he's in the North Pole until he goes to the real world. That juxtaposition of the two, which is beautiful. Yes, not only that, but he directed the shit out of this film. Not uh, because what's her name is in it. Um, new girl. Oh yeah, Zoe Dachanel was Zoe young Dachanel. Well. She hadn't done much. And the 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 kicker in this is that no one expected her. You don't expect her to sing like she does in this movie, and it comes so random because it's not a musical ish movie, but it kind of is. Right. And she just kills it. She surprises people. Um, wow, there you go. <laughs> Where'd I go? Wait, what? Where'd I go? This is breaking this is breaking news, but your girl freaking Randolph just backed her whole thing up. What? Who? Randolph? Yeah, what's her name? The Mandalorian, Grace Randolph. Oh, what'd she say? She's been claiming for months, repeatedly clashed with production stuff, blah, 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 blah. And then she just came out today after everybody was fucking blowing her up to be like, where'd all that shit come from? And she said, another source just reached out to me. It turns out the reason Pascal was asked to leave the set is far more serious than I originally heard. It's not the helmet issue. Since it's so serious, I didn't ask for the reason because I wanted to stay out of it. Done. Fuck you. What a piece of shit. That is the most coward response I've ever... You're going to be a journalist for breaking news, for rumor, gossip, and then say, I didn't want to ask. The only person, everyone is going against this, the only person to corroborate these is a YouTuber named Doom Clock, who's notorious for inventing stories designed to harm women working on Star Wars. Fuck that bitch. She's done. <laughs> Anyways, back to Elf. I don't know if I'm more... I don't know if I'm more 
impressed or flattered that you have breaking news coming from her when I don't, or breaking news, <laughs> or that you interrupted the elf talk to talk about Gray Grace Randolph. <laughs> Fuck you, Grace Randolph. Back to elf though. <laughs> Wait, breaking, breaking news. Will Ferrell is still playing Elf from the film. Made yeah, he's still in it. He's still in it. <laughs> I need to regroup. I was like <laughs> on a mission to say something. Uh, oh, Zoe Deschanel. That's what we were talking about. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's a lot of stuff that I mean, there's a great cast in this movie. Uh, also, a really they tried to get Wanda Sykes in this movie. Really? Yes, and she was replaced by. Um, yes, which is why his name tag still says Wanda. Wanda. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Phazon. Yes. Phazon Love. <laughs> he plays his name in the movie is Wanda, and he's the manager of Gimbal's. And he's great in this movie, oh, too. So and they, they, they already made the name tags. They're like, fuck it. He just has to wear it. But you can only kind of see it if you're looking for it. Yeah, it's a it's a main, minor thing. Um, but James, was it James Can? Oh, James Con. I can't get enough of the James Con story. Me and Ali, after we watched this, we actually went back and watched the movie Elf to just be like, okay, cool. The fact that James Con, he's kind of a straight shooter. He's a rough around the edges guy. He plays Buddy's dad. Um, Walter Hobbs in the film. Uh, the fact that Will Ferrell was freaking poking fun at him and teasing him and like pushing him. The best part of the whole documentary is the fact that, not the best part, but one of the best parts is the fact that in the scene where he Buddy calls him in to come and tuck him in at night and then has a, a tickle, tickle fight. Yeah, a tickle fight. James Conn gets up and he's pissed. Like he was really pissed. It's not in the script. He'd already had it up to like here with Will Ferrell. And then Will Ferrell freaking pulls him on the bed and starts tickling him. The fact he was super pissed about it. Like he just yeah, didn't want to be a they, part of it. Yeah, it's amazing. They took they did like a couple of takes and he was like after the first take or after the second take, he was like, Don't we have it already? Like what are we doing? Like, oh yeah do we have the take or what and will ferrell just yeah. kept like poking and prodding at him and they just kind of kept pushing him which i think is hilarious yeah will ferrell was very uh about the improv on this which it, he said also says in the documentary he's like uh you know we'll shoot it the way it's written once and then we'll improv and i think he must have just got a good vibe from uh john farber must have just got a good vibe from the old school shoot with vince vaughn because those obviously they're they're tight, but I mean Vince Vaughn took this movie and made it a banger. Bye, buddy. Hope you find your dad. How did Vince Vaughn do that? That was John Favreau did that. Oh, oh, Favreau. Yes, 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 yeah. yes. Um, yeah, I agree. I but they had filmed that, old school that. before this, so. Yeah, but I don't think but Favreau's not in old school. No, but Favreau is. Very close. Oh, but with, you're saying he's tight with, with Vince Vaughn. Yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure. Oh, for, it must have been like, dude, this guy's freaking. I, you know, he called and be like, "What's he like on set? How do we? How do I make him be successful?" And and I think that's what made the movie great. Honestly, it feels honest. It feels like it comes from a good place. It's a killer story. It's a killer Christmas movie. And then you add on the fact that you have you know a, a director who's going to go on to be amazing and John Favreau. You have a killer cast. 
and I, it's just, it's a win all around. I just love the tactical um, ways this movie was filmed. I mean, everything oh my is. Gosh. The freaking force perspective shots. Absolutely. Watch, it, it, Absolutely. If you're That's out a, there listening, watch the documentary mm-hmm. just so you can see how they shot certain scenes where Buddy's big compared to the elves. And you'll be like, "Me again, we were watching the movie and I'm going, how the fuck did they do that shot? Exactly. How do they possibly get that angle right? And it's force perspective. It's freaking magic. Like even when he's riding, he's like riding the bike with uh, the his his dad elf behind him. And it's like, He's actually, oh. he's like three bikes behind him or whatever. He's three bikes behind him and there's somebody hidden holding his shoulders and that kid's standing up so it makes it look like there's a giant 10-year-old kid on the back of Papa. Unbelievable stuff. Which, uh, and it's so cool to see. You appreciate it more. Absolutely, because I think that's a, t- that's a tactic in filmmaking that's slowly going away with CGI because you can just... CGI doesn't need that anymore. But it's but just... They did it practically and it meant something. I, I love it. It's basically a, a magic trick in a movie. Yes, exactly. Which I love, which I love. Um, Elf is a classic film. If you don't love it, something's wrong with you. Uh, I'll give you a yeah, hug. Yeah, it's just fun. Have, have some fun with your life, yes. for God's sakes. There's some, there's some great history behind this film. Definitely check it out. Uh, again, it's on Netflix. But Chris, let's talk. There's there's we'll a lot. switch gears. Let's, we're going to switch gears here. We're going to talk about The Nightmare Before Christmas. Wow. What, what an interesting one. I, I went into this one already fascinated because i thought you knew this will be a really cool i thought this will be a cool story about watching stop motion and how difficult stop motion is Mm -hmm. and while that was in there the real captivating story was all the behind the scenes stuff absolutely there's a there's it's a crazy mess a good mess and everything just happened to align but i didn't realize how messy a nightmare before christmas really was Right now, that you you did not only is it not only is it messy. There's a there is so much misdirection. Oh, one hundred percent. So many things that want you to think that Nightmare Before Christmas is made by this person, done by this company. When in fairness, it was the freaking redheaded stepchild that got kicked to the curb until it was successful, which makes me love it a little more. Absolutely, especially the way that it's glorified. I mean, this is a film that now is a an attraction at Disney parks. Which it was a t- was I believe it fall fell under the Touchstone umbrella. Yes, yeah, it was a di- originally. Mm-hmm. Originally, the movie was you know a Disney property, but then Disney said, "Oh, this is too dark for us." So when they pushed it out, they pushed it out as Touchstone Pictures. Yeah, which is their rated R, the darker, yeah, the line. darker, the the Turner Rupert and Roger Hooch. Rabbit, Turner and Hooch, Turner and Hooch, yeah, adult content. Yes, uh, Nightmare Before Christmas is a ninety five percent certified fresh. Ninety-one uh, percent um, from audience. It's got plot holes, it's got plot holes, but it's yeah, a beautiful yeah, film. Yeah, but it, it's a, overall it's a great story. It's a '90s film. Um, it is noted as Tim Burton's "The Nightmare Before Christmas." How yeah, the title is Tim Burton's "Nightmare Before Christmas." However, it isn't directed. For those who may not know this, but it is not directed by Tim Burton. It is a... It, this movie was not made by Tim. Tim Burton barely had anything to do with this movie. Tim, we'll get into that. Tim Burton drew some pictures on paper and... When he was in high school. It, well, he was also at the... But at the same time, he was at the top of his game getting... He was getting that Warner Brother Stanky money. money. Yeah. 
Stink. Uh, but this is actually, for those who don't know, this is actually directed by Henry Selick. And there's so many layers about all the people who put their time and effort in this movie and Tim Burton. This this is a Tim Burton creation. He definitely drew it up. Um, however, the people who were involved in this film never really interacted with Tim Burton. They dealt with other people. Absolutely. Here. The background on this, not to give too much away, but the background is that, you know, Batman had come out and had been very successful. And so Timber was on top of his game. Disney said, oh, well, you're why don't you come make this awesome movie for us? This this nightmare for Christmas we've had. And no, no, that's not he. He was already employed by Disney. Well, but he'd been fired. I don't think he was fired. I think he was still when he presented because they had they owned the rights to this movie at the time because he drew those he drew them ideas while he was working there. there yes 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 so they were still in the vault and then he said he reached out and said hey you have the property this I want to buy it. make this movie let me I want to buy it said, back yes and they said well we can't sell it to you well, but why don't you come and make it for us yeah they were like we don't you're the hottest director in Hollywood right now because he'd had at that point he'd had Beetlejuice Edward Scissorhands and Batman. the first Batman yes. And, and Batman really popped it off. Right. And they were like, well, we don't... I mean, he was, Warner, he was also working on Batman Returns. And Warner Brothers was giving him everything he wanted. And he was like, "Yeah, I still want to be... Which is it. Which is where this comes in, right? The fact that mm-hmm. he had Batman Returns and this one mm-hmm. filming at the same at time. The same so time. he had to pick. Right. And he obviously chose Batman Returns, which is I, I'm okay with. But... Uh, sure. Especially with how both films turned out. There's a I, I forget what her position is, but there there is a person who was like, Hey, uh let's not sell him back his movie. Let's just make let's make it with him. Let's do it for ourselves. Yes. Like let's let's get the let's, money. We have we thing. already own it. Let's make it and have him do it because he's the hottest director in Hollywood right now. Exactly. Smart move. That lady is the unsung hero. And all her biggest request was to move her desk from LA to San Francisco. I mean, I love that. This is the first, I love that. This is, I love that too. I, and I think that's the thing about this whole episode. It's like my, I keep going back to the idea of like the elf one is really fun. It's a really cool story. The night before Christmas one has, it's so much deeper. There's every little person, it goes into who wrote the script and how that went south they had to get somebody new and how danny elfman did the music i'm so glad you brought up but how that changed Danny elfman and then this this woman too who like you said like she wanted to have her desk moved how the movie was made not in la but it was made in san francisco which gave them distance how tim burton didn't want to it wasn't really a part of it but he'd show up every now and then like it was the most complex and the fact that you film for one every single one week you film you get one minute of footage that's insane Yep, that's that's that's, that's stop motion. Uh, it's it's unbelievable. The whole thing is unbelievable. The, but the other thing that come out of this movie is de- definitely Danny Elfman. I mean, he was in a band. Sure. He was like a rock star. Oh, he was in freak. What was that band called? Um, I don't know. Mingo Pingo or something like that. Bingo Bango. I don't know. Something like it's that. It's not Bingo Bango. But I mean, they sang weird science. No, look, this movie was put together. Oingo, boingo, oingo, boingo. Didn't oingo, even have to boingo. Google it. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't even have to Google it. Let us know. Uh, but this movie was basically put together by like 
people who had never made a movie. You had the dude, you had the dude who was making like these stop motion clips on MTV, and then you have uh, Danny Elfman from a band who's like writing the music, and their first thing that they put together to showcase to Disney to like where Danny Elfman, or I mean, uh, Tim Burton's probably like banking like, oh god, I hope they put this together correctly. But it's right. It's it's basically a music video of what's this. What's this? Yeah, the whole the first scene they ever did was what's this, which is fantastic. And it I will say this, uh so Danny Elfman made all the music, did all the vocals, and his voice is still in the music. Yeah, he's the singing voice of Jack. But he was Dan, uh Tim Burton was like, "Yeah, sure." Uh, he was like, "Yeah, you can do the voice." He put him Danny Elfman put himself in the in the role and then got cut. And I, 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 you can feel the uh, the heartbreak, I guess, a little bit. And his, huh. and his is his ex wife at this point, right? His ex girlfriend. The they lived together. She she was like was the secondary scriptwriter that came in after the first guy did not. Who was like, like hooked on blow? He was and, like yo. He was like, and she was a real. She was a real pill herself. Even in the documentary, she's unlikable. Is the word I would use. But yeah, but the original writer on the film was like hooked on coke and took a bunch of money, didn't write anything. So she steps in, so yeah, Danny Elman's her girlfriend, he's, he's writing in her thing. And I love what you said, it is, I would say it is a really emotional moment, you know, the fact that Danny Elfman connects really well with, because we also, with the character Jack and he sings a song so well, but then he just couldn't quite hit the mark. His acting yeah. chops weren't there enough to do the full voice. And it's like, I get why they brought in Chris Sarandon, Saradon. But we also, because we also see him in, he a, can act. We also see Danny Elfman, I think in an episode of, uh, I think I want to say it's maybe the toys that made us or the movies that made us where he talks of, he has like a bunch of figures of Jack Skellington. Yeah. I don't, maybe that's something, maybe even a different show, but I remember him. Maybe a different show, but he, he's definitely in the, yeah, he is other than that. He's in the toys that made us. Yeah. But yeah, he Well also, you know, he did the Batman theme. I mean, we're seeing him Simpsons. This is a young Danny Elfman. He's done Batman, he's done this, and then now he does epic stuff. I mean, just a let alone the Batman theme by itself is so recognizable. He can bend, he can hang his hat on that the rest of his life. Absolutely. I mean, he went from being a lead singer of a band to a successful band. Number 2 to John Williams, I would say, at that time. Yeah. He's got Batman, he's got Simpsons, he's got Nightmare Before Christmas. I mean, these are these are bangers. There's some real bangers. Those, there's more people that know about those three things than sure. Wango Bango. What, what Yeah, Oingo freaking Boingo. Whatever. Oh, Tim called. Burton's movie too was Pee Wee's big uh was Pee Wee's big adventure. Right, that was the real right, one right. that got him. That got him on the map for them. But it is pretty crazy to find out that this movie is titled Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas, and it's directed by somebody else. Yeah, as much I think that, as much story as much cred as Tim Burton gets, I mean, he is a great director. He's had some. He's made some good ones. He's made some stinkers. Though. He's made some stinkers. Alice in Wonderland. Just saying. Uh, yeah, but yeah. For him to be kind of like a background was very 
telling to me, I guess. It was, but he was at the time, well, like he was dealing with McDonald's, Batman Returns, and yeah, I don't know. This whole stop motion well, thing was a big deal. I, I think that that's the the point that I maybe the thing I took away the most or from this episode specifically was how you know I, I, we get on here a lot and i'll be the first to tell you i love disney i love the parks i love the Absolutely. movies i love all of it yep. right but i've also never come on this podcast and been daft to the fact that they're a giant fucking corporation that wants to make money and the idea behind this one you see that here where you know, they thought, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll fund you to make this movie. And they saw what was coming and they said, oh, no, we need to bury this movie. We'll put it under Touchstone. Mm-hmm. We'll do all this stuff. It's called The Nightmare Before Christmas. And and nobody really watched it. But then 10 years later, all it's of a sudden, hit. people a cult are classic. buying the merchandise. Yeah. It's a huge cult classic. It's making money for them. And Disney says, okay, we rebrand it as Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas. And we buy it and put it under the Disney arc. And all of a sudden, boom. I would argue, and I talk with, I talk with a lot of people about this after I watched this episode. I would argue that as a sole property, Nightmare Before Christmas outside of Mickey Mouse probably generates the most merchandising money of any of the other properties that Disney owns. And I say that Mm. because, but only taking one piece at a time, not saying all of Star Wars, all the Disney princesses, because walk into any hot topic in the world, and there's a fucking rack of Jack Skellington shit and Sally stuff. Like, you see people wearing more Jack shirts than you see wearing a Bell shirt or this shirt. Maybe Star Wars competes. I just feel like it became this weird thing where people just love those characters. And and, and the documentary hits it right on the head by saying, this is a movie about outcasts for outcasts. You might not feel like you're a Disney princess, but you can relate to Sally or you can relate to Jack. And that's what makes you gravitate towards this. I thought that was really special and really powerful. Yeah, I. that's interesting that you bring that up because I, w- I definitely wouldn't argue that. I think one of the most interesting things about uh, Disney culture is the social clubs that come out of it. But you're absolutely right in the sense of um, the fact that Disney is behind it now and pushing it more as a part of the Disney culture, it's definitely brought it more into the forefront. Absolutely. As something that they didn't want to get behind from the beginning is very interesting. And the fact that he was working with a competitive studio at the time um, also... but. It's it is still funny to me that like I was very blown away that he wasn't really involved in this movie. Oh, but he's so crazy. He's more of a so producer crazy. in the sense that he just put it. He was like he put the pieces together. I guess it was like I gotta make Batman Returns with Michael Keaton. Yeah, it's it it makes sense. I don't I don't think he made necessarily the wrong choice. I just wish that the people. Who made Nightmare, Nightmare Before Christmas got more recognition? Absolutely. That, yeah, that's, and yes, I would agree with that. I think that's uh, exactly where my point is. I think that they absolutely deserve more credit because they made one of the greatest holiday movies ever made. I mean, we're, this movie is up there with The Grinch as far as like, right, absolutely. Creative writing, uh, creative filming, filmmaking. 
So yeah, they I think Disney won on this. They got a they got a sleeper that sure. that are you kidding me? Get out of here. Yeah. I don't as far as like it being compared to their other properties, I think they were smart to bring it into the fold. I mean, if you think about if you just break down the fact that this is a movie that when it came out, like we said, they were like, nope, let's bury this. But now Every single November and December, when you, or Halloween and November, whatever, when you go to Disneyland, mm-hmm. uh, Haunted Mansion, a ride that's been there since, you know, however, 20 years after the opening, uh, is completely reskinned to be Nightmare Before Christmas. And California Adventure, the other park, becomes Oogie Boogie's land. Like, that shows you how powerful the pull is to this property that they thought was like, eh, get it out of here. Yeah, it was definitely a tactic to to uh, bang out their holiday. Yeah, bang them out. Yeah, it is interesting too, to the sense of the story of the studio and a and a creator, because you have someone who's working for you that does some doodles, and <laughs> they're like, "We're gonna we're gonna take that and." Yeah, we'll have that now. Thank you. That's ours. Wait till he blows up to be the biggest director and then be like, oh, yeah, you made you made a bunch of this stuff. Do you? And you want it? Can, oh, you now you want it back? For us? How about, oh, you want it back? Well, how about we'll, we'll take your money? We'll give. No. How about we give you a bunch of money to make this? So I the, I think there's a, a, a the story there behind the scenes of how you can work for a, such a big company and while you're on your lunch break doodling in the office, it becomes a property, an intellectual property to a big... Absolutely. Work Because like, everything you create while you're on the clock is owned by that person or that company. And then be like, oh, now you really want to make it. Nah. And then just wait till you... Wait till someone peeks and then be like, yeah... Cool. Now we got oh, it. Oh, sick. Yeah. Oh, you know, you know, you know, Tim Burton is not the first case of this. Oh, absolutely. There's, no, they, that happens they, all the time. They bought Are you up me? all kinds of creative shit, and those people never become anybody, and they just say, all right, that's locked in our vault. Absolutely. Until, until it, it comes necessary. It's like, well, I mean, a, a good, another good example of that is like the Spider Man, uh, the Japanese Spider Man show, right? Like, sure. That basically yeah. formed into. Power Rangers, which was basically someone who saw a Japanese show, bought the rights, tried to like rewrote and refilmed minimal stuff with nobody actors, and it became the biggest thing on the planet. Unbelievable. It's crazy how it works, folks. You never know what That's it. That's business, baby. Yes. Well, Chris, we've we've been talking for a long, long time. And it is time to wrap it up. These are both classic Christmas films. I don't think I would hate. I mean, you had a lot of hate for what was the what was the movie, the Christmas movie that you said that you were like. Oh. I Polar Express. Polar Express. What trash? You think Cyberpunk? Maybe there's a a, a collaboration they could do. Cyberpunk Polar Express. Maybe at least Polar Express have good had better graphics. Dang. You heard me, me, me. Shots fired. That yeet, yeet. Uh, Scream. Chris, 
have a Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, Happy Holidays to everybody. This is the last one. We won't be back until 2021. Uh-oh. When that vaccine kick in. Know what I mean? Sheen! Squeak, squeak! Uh, you know how we do here. I'm Bradley Baggs with my man Chris Bucky Watts. We out of here, baby. We'll see you next year. Peace. We got chestnuts to roast up, throw the mistletoe up, reefs in the tree, you know we get in the zone up. This the time of year the weather getting colder, Uncle Larry in the back, you know we getting tired. Sleigh bells jiggling, a ring ting tingling too. You know my Christmas carols sound way better in auto tune. We got moms in the kitchen, stuck up on a mission, cooking up all the dishes, all the trimmings and fixings. To Santa Claus, your Christmas wish list. Shout out to the elves and word up to the missus. It's Christmas time. Sugar plum dances in an upside down world. Uh, you know that Christmas ain't here. This is how the Grinch stole Santa Claus beer. Filling stockings up with coconut cheer. Blood red eyes and wolves for reindeer. Twice, uh-huh. gonna find out who naughty and nice. And I know that I'm good, cause I've been playing it right. I want them brand new J's plus a brand new bite. Uh, yeah, we make your ankles in the snow though. And you can bet I'm gonna photo bomb some photos. Uncle Larry sweater, definitely a no no. Sipping eggnog with Manolo on the phone. It's Christmas too. Christmas to the hardcore. Look, Mom, that's Santa Claus's Macklemore. No, I'm not. Hey, 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 Turn up, turn up, turn up. I turn up, I turn up, I turn up, I turn up. Turn up, a turn up, a turn up. <laughs>